we're talking to Michael, is it Benavides or Benavides? Benavides. Benavides, okay. Yeah. Uh, and is your origin Portuguese? Correct, oh, yes. Yeah. So I was born in the... No, it, it does, in fact. A lot of people, in effect, there are Greek families with the same last name. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was born in the Azores. And our family is from the Azores, the oh, islands wonderful. off the coast of Portugal. Right, Great. right. Wonderful. Um, you know, all of a sudden, people have started talking about Portugal, about how it's a great place to retire, how it's a great place to vacation, um, how great the products are. Now, we've been working our way through uh, products um, because you're, uh, you were talking on behalf of the Portuguese marketplace. Tell us a little bit, what is the Portuguese marketplace? So, uh, Sigalia Marketplace is, a, is a, a, a retail concept that we created about 10 years ago. Uh, it'll actually, it'll be 10 years in October. So, October 13th is a 10-year anniversary for the marketplace. Uh, we as a business have been in business for 35 years. We'll also be oh, celebrating really? our 35th anniversary on October. Uh, we started in a, in a three-car garage uh, in the back of a, a tenement home that we lived in, my parents. We immigrated uh, from the Azores to the U.S. in 79. Uh, I was born in 77. Uh, so my parents came to uh, the city of Fall River. Fall River has a large Azorean community. Uh, for oh, those really? of you who don't know, the, yeah, the Azores are uh, an archipelago, nine islands in the middle of the Atlantic that belong to Portugal, along with Madeira, but th that's a separate archipelago. But there's a lot of Azorians living in, in southeastern Massachusetts. And so my parents came here. Yeah, my parents came here to work in, uh, well, like many others, to work in textile factories. My father was a boat carpenter. But he had aspirations to be his own, uh, his own boss. Uh, uh, he was an entrepreneurial uh, spirit, I would say. And so he decided he was going to start a business uh, uh, after being here for a bunch of years, working in, a, in various factories, he, he decided to go off on his own and started a, an import business, importing initially coffee from Portugal. Okay. Uh, okay. So, so that was his first import, and, and we sold that out of the back of our three-car garage in the back of the, the home that we had purchased. Uh, and for years, you know, he, he tried to – initially, we were a wholesale, a wholesale concept, so we were selling locally to various restaurants – uh, in the, in our local area, Portuguese restaurants, of course, and uh, you know that that wasn't making ends meet. So we slowly made a, a pivot into retail. So we were then a a wholesale retail concept for a while out of the garage. Uh, we ran that business there for about three years, moved it to a, a second location, uh, which we still own, which is currently our warehouse for our wholesale operation. Uh, so we have two different companies. We have Portugalia Imports, which is the import division. And then we have Portugalia Marketplace, which is okay. what you've come to know. Uh, like I said, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, we bought the property that we're currently in, the, the market. It's an old, uh, a former textile mill that we converted into a marketplace. Uh, and we've been operating that market ever since. Uh, that, now, Emeril really Lagasse, Emeril Lagasse yes. is Portuguese, and he's from the same area, right? F F Fall River, correct. In fact, he's from the same neighborhood where we're, we're, our business we start off uh, Bedford Street is, is, is sort of the main street that we're off of uh, in fact our, our current business is on Bedford Street but he was, he's from he was half Italian half Portuguese so he had a lot yeah. of Portuguese influence in him as well but he, he maybe five six blocks uh, just east of us was where he grew up no I'm kidding uh, no, 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 here's a bam bam <laughs> That's right, Mr. Bam himself. Now, yes. now here, here, here's, here's one for people to to really think about, because didn't 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 the Fall River area and the Portuguese who inhabited there didn't, didn't weren't they whalers? So that's New Bedford, which is oh, with the New town Bedford. that I'm currently in. That, that's where I'm speaking to you from right now. So it, which is which is a neighboring town. We're talking about these towns are uh, at most uh, not even ten miles apart. Uh, so, we, we, you know, uh, Fall River is just west of, of uh, New Bedford. New Bedford is coastal, 
Forever has a, a, a shoreline, but it's a, it's a, a Taunton River which leads into to the bay. But it's uh, but it's real close. So there was a, there's a significant amount of Portuguese who reside in New Bedford as well. And you're right, they came over initially as whalers. Uh, we're talking about turn of the century. Uh, in fact, a lot of a lot of them were from the Azores, the islands, because uh-huh. there's a, okay. a strong whaling her- heritage in the islands. Uh, so they came over as whalers. Some of the first settlers, in fact, were were whalers. But, but the, 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 fa- the famous book about the Portuguese whaling business was called Moby Dick, right? So, Correct. So, so Moby, yeah, Dick Herman was there. Mo- Mo- Moby Dick was there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I never knew. So, yeah, no, it's, 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 an, it's an area. Yeah, yeah, this, there's, uh, this area here is real rich in, 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 in Portuguese. You know, a lot of settlers, a lot, you know, over the years. Uh, but, but various, various waves of migration. Uh, you know, those we're talking about uh, whaling. You're talking about some of the early, earlier settlers, but then we saw a lot of people coming over in the '60s to work in textiles. Uh, okay, uh, the textile makes sense too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah was, there something a, that, was there a great right? demand oh. for for um, a Portuguese uh, staple food, uh, and that's what led you to to do this business? Yeah, so uh, like I said, I, I was 11 at the time when my father started the business. But he, yeah, so he he saw he saw a demand with a community, right? So there was a large Azorian community. So he set up a business initially then to service this this community that existed. And our concept was, real, uh, you know, there were other Portuguese markets operating at the time. In fact, there were many at the time. Uh, really? But we we t- we took a different approach uh, in our the way we we structured our business. So our business, we were, because we were importers and wholesalers, uh, yeah. we, we had sort of a, a wholesale uh, approach in a, a model where we were, you know, we were letting consumers know that they were buying directly from the source. So in, in, in essence, eliminating the middleman, we weren't, we weren't, we had, our concept was very much like a warehouse uh, I, in a miniature, miniature version of a BJ say. Uh, you know, okay. wh- where you could come to us and buy bulk because we were uh, very keen then on selling bulk. We were wholesalers. We So people came to us oftentimes to buy uh, a case of olive oil, a case uh-huh. of salt cod, uh, a case of tin fish, for example. Uh, yeah. So we, we always sold in bulk. That was that was our initial concept. Uh, and and we, built a, we built a really strong following uh, with the Portuguese communities because there are Portuguese communities throughout New England, right? So even in Massachusetts, you have small. The, the concentration is in New Bedford and Fall River, mm-hmm. but you know, you, you go say Taunton is not too far away. There's a sizable Portuguese community there, and it's, we're, so we're we're spread out throughout the, the the Commonwealth and also in Rhode Island. And but that business that we started, that my father created, uh, we're, we're at one point was attracting customers, and still does attract customers from Connecticut, New Jersey, New Hampshire, Vermont, Portuguese families that you wouldn't necessarily see on a weekly basis at the market, but you, they come in every other month and they, and they stock up for, for a couple of months' time. So we, we had that business, and we continue to have that business at our current location, but that's, that's how the model was formed. Now, um, when, when I think of, uh, of Portugal, I mean, I think of sardines, um, yeah. And and your sardines are splendid, by the way. <laughs> but we used Thank to you. do. Yeah, you know, we we have friends who were Portuguese chefs in in our area. I mean, they they had emigrated here and so on. And we used to do an annual sardine. Um, um, Festival, what do you call it? We call it? Well, yeah, we used to. They used to drive to. Where was it in New Jersey? They used to drive to somewhere Elizabeth? in New Jersey. In, in Newark, possibly. Probably Newark. Yeah, Newark, New Jersey. Yes. And, and they the used iron, to buy yep. fresh sardines and bring them back with all these other things. Then we would have this big cookout. And, uh, yeah. It, yeah, and it, it was splendid stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, and the sardines are definitely a, a, a Portuguese staple. I would say the, the most iconic food in Portugal. is It's a toss-up between sardines and salt cod. Bacalhau, we're very fond of salt right. as well. Yeah, now, now, now the, the, the other thing that's interesting is they also brought in sausage, Portuguese, traditional sausage, yeah. Portuguese sausage. And Chorice, uh, mo, linguiça. Mo, mo, 
more, more than one on one more than one occasion during the, the Portuguese festival, I was appointed as the cooker of the <laughs> Portuguese sausage, oh, yeah. which is a good job because other people tried it and burned everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, uh, the the one thing with with our um, our cookout, our Portuguese cookout, our sardine roast or whatever we called it, uh, is that half yeah. the people were smashed by the side by side to cook <laughs> to wow. cook the sardines. So <laughs> yeah, I don't like burnt sardines. Um, yeah, now, yeah. you know, um, so tinned this t- tradition of tinned or jarred um, seafood. Um, is, yep. is shared by Portugal and Spain. What is the difference between the two? Well, I would say, so uh, we have, you know, I, I would say the Spaniards do um, seafood very well. So they do shellfish. You know, they do a lot of mussels in cans. And they also yeah. do some of the species that we do. They do tuna as well. But uh, but I would I would venture to say, like, in, in the you know, it, it's like I said, you're, you're absolutely right. It's uh, In the Iberian Peninsula, we share this this sort of know-how and this, this heritage. But the Portuguese, yeah. when it comes to sardines, I think ours reign supreme. Uh, you know, yeah, the well, they, your the sardines, sardines are, are fabulous, absolutely fabulous. Yeah. And we also like the mackerel pate, you know. Yeah. And yeah, it then, seems then, like then, there's a modern edge. You've added a modern edge to some of these uh, traditional tin foods or jarred foods, like the, um, the, the tuna uh, with the... Um, Ginger slices in it. Now here's, here's, a, here's a question for you, Michael. What what yep. what, what, what waters are, are, are the ones where the fish is caught? Is it is it mostly in the Bay of Biscay, or is it more in no, the so, Atlantic? So Atlantic, Atlantic for sure. Okay. So and 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 I and I think that's that's the difference as well. So so if you look at where the fishing ports are for sardines. You have the yes. port of Matosinhos, which is right outside of Porto. And if you, if, you know, if you understand the, the geography of Portugal, yes. Lisbon is sort of center. Porto is about three hours north of, of Lisbon. Right off the coast of, of Porto, there's a fishing village called Matosinhos, one of the most okay. iconic, famous fishing villages in Portugal. And, and that's, that happens to be one of the larger ports for sardines. But uh, but okay. on the flip side, you're also getting a lot of sardines down in the south as well. So close to the bay, which is in Al- the Algarve, uh, which is a popular okay, beach yes, destination. Yes. But there's also there are also a lot of smaller fishing uh, villages along the south of Portugal. Uh, now, we, so we, so it's good. No, we 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 visited the, that part of Spain that's just north of Portugal, if you like. It's Santiago de Compostela. Correct. And, the, and the, the, the coast north and south of a town called Vigo, it seemed yes, to me, was, was, fish a place, port. was a place where f- fishing was big time. Oh, yeah. No, Vigo is, a, is probably one of the biggest fishing ports in, in the Iberian Peninsula. But, yeah, you're right. And it's a, it's, it's a you know, they, they also do, but, in fact, they do a lot of uh, mussels in Vigo. Uh, but I, I would, like I said, I, I think it, the three categories in Portugal when it comes to tin fish that I think we're really, that, that we excel at are sardines, uh, our tuna is, is exceptional, but the tuna Fabulous. is coming from, it's coming from the Azores, so the oh, islands, okay. the archipelago. Right. So, and right. they're all, you know, sustainably caught, Poland line, dolphin safe, they, they, they win all the awards when it comes to sustainability. It's very primitive methods. We're talking about day boats. These, gen, these fishermen go out early morning, come back mid-afternoon with, with the haul. Uh, they're not, we're not talking about very, not, this is skipjack tuna, so they're not the massive yeah. tunas. They're more of a, and, and that's what you get in, in that, the one that you had there with the ginger, from, that's from the island of San Jorge, uh, from see. Santa Catarina is the, the name of the, uh, the uh, cannery. Uh, that's that's those are the, the methods that they used. Like I said, very primitive uh, methods. Very you know pole in line and and always you, as you'll see fillets. So you get little fillets in the in the right. can. Yeah. Now, here, now the the um, I think that you probably are right on target. People's taste buds um, are going hotter and hotter and hotter. And there's the classic is this piri piri. Hot sauce. Piri, piri, yeah, PDPD, the Portuguese are very fond of their PDPD. 
you know, we make a lot of dishes with PDPD. I think it has a lot to do with, uh, you know, the Portuguese for a while had a lot of African colonies in Angola. Yes, yes. They would, they, Angola, Mozambique, Goa, Macau. So the Portuguese, when, during their, the explorations, uh, they, you know, they brought back spices and herbs and, and you know, flavors from, yeah. from all the, the, the colonies. And th- that's where PD, the origins of PDPD come, uh, supposedly come from Angola and Africa. And, and so if, in Portugal, there's a lot of uh, PDPD chicken joints. You know, they, there's, yeah. in almost every town throughout Portugal, you can find a, a place that's doing grilled PDPD chicken which is some of the finest chicken in the world. But it does have a kick. It does have that heat. Uh, but, you know, PDPD, we use it in a lot of different dishes. We, yeah. we infuse the oils in, in, in the sardines, as you saw, or the tuna. Uh, so it's, it's a very common um, uh, product for the Portuguese. Now, the, the Spain, Spain is known as the biggest olive producer um, in, in the world just about, isn't it? And, but I never actually think of um, the olive oil c- coming. But you sent us a, a, a jar of green olives in olive oil. And then tell us yeah. about this metaflora. What is the metaflora? metaflora? The, the olive oil? Yes. Is that what, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an olive oil. That's a very special olive oil. In fact, I would say that's, that's up there with one of the – that's maybe one of the top olive oils in Portugal. It's a family farm – uh, multi-generational in the north of Portugal, in, in Trasmonch, uh, which is almost almost in Spain, in fact, bordering Spain. Uh-huh. Uh, in, in, in fact, when you're in that area, you may pick up a, a, a Spanish cell phone signal because it's that close to the border. So it's not, it's not uncommon. Like you mentioned, Spain has a lot of olives. Obviously, Portugal does as well. The climate is very, uh, you know, similar. So, but, but this particular producer, like I said, this, they only produce one product. They, this is a, a family that's trying to maintain. For years and years, years and years and years, they didn't even commercialize their olive oil. They just had their olive groves for their own personal consumption for the family. Uh-huh. And, and, and they, as they gifted a bunch of it away to friends and, and family, they were encouraged to, you need to bottle this. You need to sell this because it's so good. So as a result of that, the project started a few years back. Uh, and, and it's, and it's done, it's, you know, it's exceptional olive oil, very high grade, uh, very low acidity. Uh, so they gauge olive oils in Portugal that is uh, like a barometer or an indicator of how, how much quality the olive oil has based on the, the low acidity. In this particular case, it, it has, a, it's a really low acid, beautiful, good fruit, uh, a little, a little green, a little, a little bitter, uh, but it's, it's delicious. Now, you, no. didn't, you didn't say anything about wine. And, wine. and wine comes out of Portugal in at least two very different flavors, one, one, one green and the other... What, 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 what color do you call port? Brown. So, yeah, so this tawny, this, this, right, tawny is, is, is what people know of when they think of port, but there are different styles of port. So sure. port, you have, you, have, you have tawny, which is sort of more of this brownish, reddish tone. Uh, and then you have uh, ruby, which is the deep garnet red port, which they both have very different characteristics. Although they're both fortified, uh, made in the same way, they, stylistically they're different. Um, and and, and even, in, even in the port category, there's many other, there's, there's uh, you know, uh, white ports now that are very popular. They've been around for quite some time, but it's very, you're seeing a real big, you know, rise in popularity in white port. Are you doing that, Michael? Are you doing, yeah, you're not doing yes, any wine do. No, in the market we do. We, we oh, sell, do. So in the, mar- in, the, in the market we have a very large Portuguese wine uh, section. In fact, possibly the largest Portuguese wine section in the U.S. At this really? moment we have 1,300 Portuguese wine SKUs in the market. Now, so, isn't that interesting? Because we used to go to the Portuguese wine tasting um, dinners, and um, the only thing I remember about them is that I, my taste is to not be as sweet, and I thought a lot of them were really sweet. Oh, really? 
Well, it's, yeah. I mean, not, this, this all different kinds, it, it, you know, but by and large, most of most Portuguese wines are dry. Uh, when you speak of reds and well, if you uh, so you mentioned earlier, you mentioned the the green wine, Vinho Verde. Uh, that's that's a white wine uh, that's produced in a very specific region in Portugal, north, uh, you know, northwest facing the ocean, uh, and that's that's a wine that that traditionally uh, the profile of that wine is a little off dry, so it is a little bit on the sweet side, just a touch of sweetness, and it has a little bit of effervescence, so it's got a uh, uh, n- nothing like a, a champagne or sparkling fizz, but just mm-hmm. a hint of fizz. Uh, and that's that's a very common uh, white category for summer. Uh, it's low ABV. It's easy drinking, great with seafood, great with apps. Uh, it's just a, a, a delicious white. But but that's that would I would say that's you know that's a little bit on the sweet side. And then you also have obviously the fortified wines, port wines. But by and large, if you look at cat, uh, areas like uh, the Douro Valley, Alentejo, right, uh, right. the Lisbon region, they're all, they're all producing uh, dry reds primarily. Yeah, but it, uh-huh. it could have been also these tastings, could have been the taste of the restaurateur who was Portuguese. Yeah. That could have been his preference, actually, because he, so, he, he liked to cook with fruit in, the, in his savory dishes, too. So it could be his yeah, taste. Yeah. And the other thing yeah. that startled me is I never think of Portuguese cheeses, and you sent us two cheeses which are quite good, oh. the uh, São Miguel and the São Jorge. Yeah, yeah. So those those are also from the islands. Uh, so the islands uh, have a really rich tradition in, in in cheese making. In fact, there there are more cows on the islands in São Miguel, the island of São Miguel, the main island. There are more cows than, than inhabitants. So oh, it's this, no. there's a lot of there's I didn't a lot know of dairy. That. That's yeah, really funny. You never think of that. You never think. You know, well, I think that uh, Portugal needs to probably do a lot more PR. <laughs> yeah. No. And they have, and they have they they have over the years they've you know the Azores for example we because we're on this topic uh, you know has has seen uh, next to double digit growth annually over the last four or five years in terms of tourism. So the the word is getting out. But you know the primary industry in in, in the Azores has been up until now agriculture. Uh, the unfortunate situation is that, uh, you know, the second, third, fourth generation, or in, in this case, many generations, and they don't, the, the, these newer generations are not as interested in farming as, say, their ancestors. Uh, yeah, and, too, and, too much like and, hard work, right? Yeah, and, and it, is, it's, it is hard work. It's hard labor, uh, and, and they, the, the economy seems to be interested in changing all of the the Azores is, is sort of slowly becoming more of a, uh, a tourism-driven, uh, you know, tourism will overtake agriculture at some point in the Azores, for better or worse. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, it's 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 good on on one on one side if you look at it, you know, because uh, economically it was an area that had you know that that suffered, uh, had some hardships, and, and now that tourists are going there, you know, everyone's. There, there's a, a focus in, uh, at educating future generations to work in tourism, uh, and so less, less, and in some way abandoning the land, which is again unfortunate. That's too bad. Uh, yeah. So, but you do, you, we 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 do need and rely on on agriculture because we need we need people to work work cattle and in the fields uh, because the Azores is this beautiful ecosystem in the middle of the Atlantic. It, it, the cheeses are outstanding because. These are these are happy cows. They they graze on salty pastures. Ah, it's it's, it's clean. Cow. It's pristine. It's very you know in terms of air quality, some of the finest. You know it's it, there's there's no pollution. It's, it's in the middle of the ocean, so it's it's a very uh, green place. Well, Michael, let's let's make let's make sure that since since you've now done such a great job selling selling Portugal. Why don't, why don't we make sure that people know how to get in touch with you and be able to fill their larders with these wonderful products that we've been enjoying? Sure. Yeah, no, so, uh, I mean, we can be easily found. We, we have an e-commerce business, PortugaliaMarketplace.com. So that's P-O-R-T-U-G-A-L-I-A, 
marketplace, M-A-R-K-E-T-P-L-A-C-E.com. Uh, people can go on the site. There's, uh, I think, upwards of 1,000 products on there now. There's over 300 tins available. So what, what you're sampling there is just a, a very, very minute sampling of what we have to offer. Cheeses, cured meats. We have some baked goods on there that are doing very well at the moment. Uh, olives, olive oils. So even, you know, salt fish, salt cod sausages. Uh, that's I mean, all available how, online. How easy yeah. is it to, to get this stuff? I mean, um, is shipping a hassle? Is I mean... <laughs> Um, yeah, it's you mean you mean for us to import it or for us to ship no, it out for to us to actually for for um, I mean I'm sure it's it's pretty good if if you're a, a restaurant you could order off there um, and what yeah. about like individuals or home cooks or groups yeah or? yeah absolutely no and and it's the site is designed uh, for for end consumers it's not it's not a wholesale site uh, okay. it's it's meant for people to go on there and purchase very simply you know this. Uh, add to cart, load up your cart, win, and we we're pretty diligent and good at getting the packages out within a day or two. Of all, if you place an order today, there's a good chance that if it's before three o'clock, we're going to be putting it on, uh, really? on a FedEx or a UPS vehicle. Uh, it all depends. You know, it, it becomes a little. You know, during the during the winter, there's storms and things that happen. So occasionally mm-hmm. there, there are diversions, and but but by and large, uh, you know. In the Northeast, we, you're getting your goods within the day, usually within a day of purchasing, of ordering. Uh, obviously, West Coast, we're, we're East Coast, so we're, we're in Massachusetts. West Coast, it takes a little more time. Uh, but we, we, take, we take all the proper precautions in terms of, you know, packaging the goods and throwing them on, on in, you know, in vac bags and, and, and keeping things in the right temperature as we ship them. Yeah, everything was beautifully wrapped and protected also in the shipment we got. Good. Um, it was very great. carefully wrapped, so all the containers and everything. Um, you, you know, Michael, this has nothing to do with, with uh, you, obviously. My biggest problem with Portugal is the language. It drives me insane. I, <laughs> I look at it and I think I know because it's, so close to Spanish, but there's that little bit of difference. And when it's spoken, I don't understand anything. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we have a way. Yeah, our language is a difficult language, I would say. Uh, we shush things. You know, it's a, it's a slightly different. We almost sound a little Slavic at times, where the Spanish. But, but if you look at it phonetically, like you, like you mentioned, when you see it, it looks similar to Spanish. It does. Uh, but, but it's, yeah, but it's, it's when, when it's spoken that... It's a, little, it's a little more challenging. Well, you know, it used to be that way with uh, because my background is Sicilian, and and I studied yeah. in in, in um, Florence, uh, Toscana, and, and if you went to Sicily in the old days, um, you couldn't understand anything. Um, but I must yeah. say that if you go, Peter's from Yorkshire, and if you hear somebody write straight from Yorkshire, you can't understand this even English. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we have we have a similar situation also with with the Azores in the mainland, you know. So, uh, oh yeah, Azorians, tell me about we, that. We, we, yeah, we we get you know we'll we'll oftentimes get criticized for butchering the language. Uh, oh. You know, uh, we have, we have we have a, it's it's even a little bit more sort of staccato than than say you know the mainland Portuguese where it sounds a little more proper. The Azores, we kind of tend to cut things short. And, and then that's not all of the Azores. It's San Miguel specifically, with the main island. Because if you go to some of the islands, the other islands, they have uh, different uh, accents than we do. Uh, you know, like all islands, there were different settlers in different islands. Right. And even in the case of San Miguel, there were many different settlers, in the, you know, that, that settled in San Miguel in various parts of San Miguel. And so, it, it, you know, they really they had their way with the language. And uh, and so we do we do speak. A, it, oftentimes there have been there have been uh, in the past Azorians that are on national television, on Portuguese national television, and they have to put in a, a, a subtitles in the bottom just to make sense of what the the people are saying. Uh, so it's it's it's, an, it's 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 it doesn't happen as much anymore. I think the ling- the language is becoming a little bit more <clears throat> homogenized in the sense that you know now that there's so much travel between the Azores uh-huh. and the mainland. It was. It wasn't the case, say, 50 years ago, or even 
30 or 40 years ago. But now there's, a, there's this constant, you know, and, and a lot of the youth from, from the Azores are educated in Lisbon. So the language uh-huh. is not uh, quite what it used to be. Uh, but it, it, it's interesting, though, yeah. I, I understand the whole Sicily, mainland Lisbon. Yeah, uh, right. Well, anyhow. So uh, I, I think your business is splendid. Your products are splendid. I think Portugal is splendid. Um, that, you know, our, our Portuguese friends are, are really fine cooks. So listeners, check it out online, uh, shopping of Portuguese specialties at the uh, Portugala Marketplace. Is that right? That's, that's correct, yep. That's good. And, uh, Michael, um, the, thank you so much for talking to us. I feel like I've learned a lot today. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Well, listeners, we're going to be talking to Andre Darlington again. He writes a lot of books, <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's a good interview. Um, we're going to be talking to him about his latest book, The Unofficial, and noted as unofficial, Big Lebowski Cocktail Book. But, of course, Andre's specialty is um, drinks and uh, cocktails. Um, and uh, first of all, for, for people who don't know the movie, is there... Can you encapsulate kind of what it's about? If you read about it, as I was saying, people keep aggrandizing. It's it's uh, it's is it an allegory of a social allegory? Is it a blah blah blah? blah? They go on and on and on. Um, but I I never understand the Cone Brothers movies anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for having me on. Yes, so people use it as sort of a cipher for all of kinds of things that they I think they want to see in the movie. I mean, essentially the Coen brothers tackled film noir, but instead of, you know, it's kind of based on, um, you know, some early, you know, 50s black and white movies, but with, with kind of the gumshoe and the, and the femme fatale and, you know, there's the MacGuffin of a missing money, but you never quite know about it. And it has all those elements, but they made it sort of sunny and stoner and California and our gumshoe is a very um, lazy and unwilling one in Jeff Bridges as the dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but, I mean, as I said, I mean, I, I, I don't really, they do have this kind of a Hollywood sheen to their, to their uh, movies. I mean, that, you have to give them that. But I, I don't really understand the, how people can attribute all these grandiose purposes out of these movies but they do yeah Um, this one has a lot of um it has a lot of layers to it actually and uh the i think what people really love is the dude sort of has this sort of Taoist buddhist you know southern california um sort of slacker thing going on where you know it's almost like a like the movie being there you know the dude doesn't really do anything but things happen anyway (laughs) <laughs> and people, I think, took that, took that kind of philosophy to heart. There's definitely a whole cottage industry of secondary sources around this movie. Wow. There's a lot of, a lot of opinions on this movie. But, but it, 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 it's also, the movie's just very joyful. Yeah. Well, now, the other story that I'm really interested in is how this book, the uh, cocktail book that you wrote, how did that come about? I mean... Give us yeah. a scenario of how that was pitched yeah, to great. you, started, what you did. Yeah, great question. I, um, they, I, it begins like so many books for me these days. It sort of begins with an email. This book is actually on Corto, which is a new press for me. Um, yeah, I didn't I'm, know it either. Uh, yeah, my big presses are uh, Hachette, uh, you know, running press, and then I was on Simon & Schuster for my Batman uh, cocktail book for Gotham City's. Um, and for the and for John Wayne, 
And uh, an editor at Quarto sort of pitched this across, would you be interested if we could do this? And I actually, so what's interesting is The Big Lebowski was actually a flop in the theaters at the time. The, the Coen brothers had just were, were riding a wave of high success. And this is the movie that they made. And for whatever reason, it just didn't do well at the time and then became this cult hit. You know, so that it's being re-released with big fanfare, you know, 25 years later, which is yeah, part of what... Yeah, 25th anniversary, yeah. and it still um, yeah, dominates still the headlines. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's wild, right? So my understanding was they wanted to make this licensed, but because the movie was a flop, um, my understanding is everyone sort of runs from the debt, right? So in Hollywood, if you have a movie that's not financially successful, everyone pretends they weren't a part of it. And they just run. <laughs> so there was, no, there was no there there to license. Uh-huh. So they contacted, you know, the Coen brothers uh, directly, but I don't know that the Coen brothers own the movie anymore. It was unclear who um, owns any rights to it because it didn't, it didn't make its money back, um, which is, which is kind of wild. I'm sure it probably has since in, in you know, licensing or, watch, or TV or, or whatever. But um, so, yeah, it was interesting that it was unofficial. I basically was in between projects, and it was really great because, um, you know, I often do my bar menu book was very serious. I'm recipe testing. I'm traveling around the world, and um, this one was a project that was, where that hey, was a lot of fun for you. That that was work. a lot of fun, a lot of fun, and a ton of work. And not that this wasn't a ton of work, but this is work I knew I could do from home. You know, I could get the secondary material. I could get the film script. And I could watch the movie um, a number of times. And, and also, it was just really joyful. The book is really fun. It was, it's illustrated by a woman, um, I think, from Chicago, but now lives in Amsterdam. Um, and if you've seen it, the, the, it's actually my first illustrated, fully illustrated book as well. And that was a fun process where basically the editor would send me, you know, the proofs of what the illustrator was thinking. And the, some of the images are just laugh out loud funny. Yeah, <laughs> the size of it is rather cool too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and the illustrations—they really are cute. And I mean, now where did these drinks? Tell us the process. Where did these drinks and the recipes come from? Yeah, so that's an interesting story and part of sort of my journey. As you know, I started out as a drinks journalist. So for the first 15 years of, of writing, basically, I was writing about other people's drinks. I did own, you know, my own restaurant, but I had a bar manager who was basically in charge of, of those drinks. You know, so I was in on menus. I read a lot of menus as a, as a journalist, obviously, and sort of get into the, you know, got into the craft cocktail world. And, and the, first, um, the first group that wanted originals was for Batman. And, uh, you know, I was like, okay, here we go. Here's the leap, you know. And I did a lot of drinks for that. Um, I, you know, basically come up with the drinks and then workshop it with a couple other people um, so that the drinks are, are great. And, and keeping in mind that my audience is sort of a mass home bartending audience and they need to be able to get the supplies, whether they're in Cincinnati or, you know, Ames, Iowa or something, something like that. You know, it has to be pretty, pretty accessible. Mm-hmm. And um, so I did that for Batman. And this is actually book four of um, originals for me. And I feel like I've gotten better at it even. Um, the Batman drinks are, are fantastic based on really wild characters, you know, for Batman. And then Booze and Vinyl 2 actually was also all originals. Um, and then John Wayne and then this one. And I, it's been really fascinating part of my career that I never expected that I'd also be this sort of drinks creator. Um, but, it, it, you know, I, I think what happened is we've been in this cocktail revolution long enough that you can't put in drinks that people have seen before. We can all find them on the Internet. That's part of it. Mm-hmm. And also just that things have changed a little bit and there is still always room. I mean, one of the things I love about cocktails is there's always room for a new one, you know, mm-hmm. that you haven't had before. Well, yeah, um, I mean, I'm, I actually have not made the, the, the ones in this book, but you seem to sure know what you're talking about. Uh, and and you, you really... You're very clear about what people are supposed to be doing. Um, yeah, you know, I, I mean, like I, I, I yeah I like to be very approachable in in it. You know, there's so many. The other end of the spectrum are the you know sort of high end bartenders, but they're very sophisticated bars. 
and they think that they can just sort of write down what their bar does and that people will follow it. <laughs> but that's a very small group of people. You know, as you know from, you know, you get these chef um, books, you know, especially if they're like modernist, you know, chefs. And it's like, okay, well, are you going to get a roto evaporator? You know, are you going to get a, um, you know, basically as technical as I get is an ISI whipper, you know, a CO2 cartridge um, thing for your cream. That's about, you know, about the equipment that I, that I ask for people. And I don't ask for that very often. <laughs> you know, because I'm thinking, I mean, listen, I, mean, I deal with these people. I mean, I, I had this yeah. overflow of Asian pears from my tree. Yeah. So I, I just took a huge quantity of them to um, a, a restaurant with a bar program that I know uh, and hands them to the chef. And, and they ended up making this. They, they smoked. They smoked giant smokers Ooh, in their backyard. And they smoked the Asian pears and, and made this um, – drink oh, out of a cocktail called on the menu. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. And it was yeah, good. I'm very, I'm very yeah. slow to adopt the technology because I feel like people, um, I don't want to make the burden even more. You know, the ingredients are expensive enough. I feel like a really nice silicon ice tray is good. Getting a shaker, getting a nice stirring spoon, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, you, you mentioned this, this ice thing. I mean, does this surprise you, this whole thing with designer ice now? It doesn't, it doesn't. I mean, people are very visual. The, the cocktail scene has to go somewhere. Um, I do think that suspending things in ice is fun. I feel like fetishizing it to the extent that, of course, we're going to fetishize it until everyone's tired of it, and then we don't ever want to do it again, which is too bad. You know, I feel like... Yeah, um, but they, they have know, this... Um, uh, what, what, what is it on? It's one of these social media things where this uh, a woman pulls out her ice tray she has specific uh, drawers for ice drawers wow. for her her collection <laughs> of, of the, the ice cubes that she's created and i mean yeah. this is elaborate i, I don't think it I'd is ever, elaborate yeah I, I don't think I'd like to put it in a drink, actually. <laughs> I, I worry that we get to the point where we have designer-branded ice and then people are just putting vodka, you know, putting their, you know, spritzes from a can on top of it. <laughs> well, I think because that's you, what they're doing. I mean, I really, I, think, no, I don't know. I think so, too. And I do think it's fun. You know, I love when I go to a nice, let's say, say whiskey bar and you order a nice shelf, you know, whiskey and they have a stamp or, you know, even carve the ice. I think that that pageantry is really fun, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know about going down the road so far that you're not paying attention to your drink in favor of the ice. But it's a fad, and um, you know I have the silicon ice cra- ice trays to just make the large format, which I think are great yeah, and are very inexpensive. Too. I have them, but I, you know what? I don't use them. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, that's the thing with this equipment. You know, this is. This is the um, the Spetzla maker of 2023, right? <laughs> yeah, well, everybody who has a serious bar wants that Japanese uh, water filtered water system I, for making ice. What what right. is it about that? I mean, yeah, it's just more uh, you know filtering out the the bubbles and the impurities, uh, so you get clear ice. But you can also do that with a cooler, very expensively. And it's free, so, you know. Don't tell people. <laughs> I know. Don't tell people. I, 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 I worry, you know, I want people to just, um, I do think that it's, you know, in my books, I'm always like, think of your garnishes. It really does make a difference if you're making San Yeah, Martini you said and that. You said and you do, a, you know, a lemon peel or an orange peel and you zest it over the top. It really adds something. And I don't think people realize that you can get to basically 85%, 90% of what a professional bar is doing just by paying attention to the sort of low-tech stuff, you know? Uh-huh. Um, well, you know, so, I mean, you go into glassware, which is very important. Um, yes. But I, I have to tell you, um, I, I've inherited, you know, family glassware over the years. And um, at, what we have today is so simplified from what, um, you yeah. know, my, my parents and grandparents had. I mean, I have yeah, a whole cupboard like full of this set. stuff that I've never used, but they're yeah. designed for. I mean, you you use you say the um, the coop is an important piece, and I have a, a whole bunch of those, and I I've never used any of them. 
Yeah, the coops and the Nick and Nora's, you know, it's, it's, you know, things were so formal in the past. You know, you have your three forks and your two spoons and your fish, your fish knife and, you know, all the fish spoon and all that. And, um, you know, we've, we've definitely Listen, simplified we have, things. Down. Did you, do you happen to, have you ever seen pea pushers? Oh, yes, the pea pushers. <laughs> you got to have pea pushers. <laughs> Well, back in the days when, you know, you had your peas, uh, many meals, the pea pushers was, was important. The soup ladles, the soup um, terrines, oh, you know, yeah. and some of that is fun. Some of that is, is very fun. And, you know, I don't want people to go nuts with their cocktail wear, but it is nice to get a glass. And, you know, if it's just you and your partner at home, you know, you just get two of everything and sort of have a little arc, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and if you have people over, they can just use one of the other options and, and nobody will notice really. If, no, I feel no. like if you make, if you're making somebody a great drink, they're not going to complain about your glassware. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. The, um, so you, you have real life scenes from the movie and characters and then yeah. all these recipes you developed yourself. Yes, it was, yeah, quite an undertaking. I, I actually find the creativity really fun. Sort of what I do is develop sort of a, a, a little bit of a drinks universe. I, I kind of decide, okay, what are the different characters and what do they kind of drink? So there's one character who is Polish but has decided to convert to Judaism. And oh, that's, very that, was, yeah, that was funny. A very yeah. hilarious character. And I'm like, well, that's Schlivovitz then, obviously. He's Jewish and Eastern European. Yeah. We're talking yeah. fruit brandy. You know, and so, <laughs> and, and, and so the, for example, you know, and then I, I want to, if I'm going to make somebody buy Schlivovitz, I'm going to have at least you know, one or two other drinks in the book that use it. So I try to keep it very tight. So I kind of develop sort of a big Lebowski zone, and the drinks sort of fit into that zone. There's a lot of cream drinks in this one because the dude drinks white Russians. Um, so yeah. I actually do a, a, a fair amount of, of variation on that. One, one which is fun is the... I have a drink called the El Deuterino. He calls himself the El Deuterino because it's Southern California. Um, and I replaced the cream with horchata, you know, and it's actually a uh-huh. wonderful replacement and really fun. Um, so <clears throat> all the characters get a drink. <clears throat> Excuse me. The situations get a drink. Um, and then I'm kind of the music and booze guy, but in this oh, case... Oh, yeah. But that's, um, you also have, you have music to go with all the different recipes for cocktails. Yeah. And it's fun. And I you have a section on what to eat because you've been doing that for a long time. Yeah, that food. was also really fun. So there's a couple famous scenes in the movie where they go to a diner um, and they go to, you know, they, they talk about In-N-Out Burger. Um, but then they go to a diner and these Germans order really funny stuff. So I have like a pigs in a blanket that they order. They order <laughs> lingonberry pancakes. Um, you know, just, just some silly stuff. And then there's a lot of the movie takes place at a bowling alley. So I sort of do ev- elevated bowling food. Um, hot nuts, nachos, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Um, so, yeah, it's just very funny. But the, mu- the music is actually really fun. Most of the pairings in there, the, the song is from the soundtrack. Um, I got the script in the, in the soundtrack and kind of lined things up. Oh, really? Um, okay. And then some, um, you know, just adjacent artists. So, you know, you're at a bowling alley, so you're probably going to hear Ario Speedwagon, that kind of thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have you know, a drink called Stri- Strikes and Gutters. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> Yeah, the book, uh, the movie is just so funny that I just kind of got out of the way, you know, and, uh-huh. um, and, and just sort of reminded people of these hilarious scenes. Um, there's a scene in the movie where these guys come to the dude's house and he's in, um, they find him in the bathroom and he's in a tub. And in order to scare him, they drop a ferret into the tub. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, you, you, I was it's sending just, you messages because I just turned the page to your ferret <laughs> in the bathtub. <laughs> a nice marmot. <laughs> it's just hilarious. It's too funny. And I was like, you also, you know, that's a boiler maker, right? You just throw a, a liqueur into, into an already made drink. Uh-huh. And that's your ferret in the bathtub or your fernet in the bathtub in this case. So I, I'm trying to do some funny puns in there because the movie has lots of fun and playful puns. Yeah, well, you've got um, to express a lot of your fun side in this thing. But yeah, I mean, you have was, some important information such as you resolve the issue of um, shaken and stoked. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. I always feel like, you know, listen, this, you know, this book could be somebody, you know, people are just big Lebowski fans, you know, they're just these, you know, they go to these festivals and stuff and maybe they're not cocktail people. So I want to make sure 
that the book will give them all the information they need to know <clears throat> that you know maybe they maybe they can continue on in, in cocktails so i did want some of that information in there because i always assume maybe this is someone's first cocktail book um, and and that would and that would be wonderful so i want to make sure that they you know the different tribes or of cocktails are represented um, and at the same time this one i wanted to be especially I guess accessible because the whole vibe of the movie is very lazy, and um, despite the fact that I ask people to make some simple syrups and to do some other things, it's yeah. pretty simple. Um, well, that's how you've organized the book. You started with the simplest, easiest things to do. Right. The assemble in the glass. You know, these are some of the great drinks. You just kind of pour them in a glass. Don't and give it one stir. You know, and 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 walk away two things that have more citrus in it or something and they need to be shaken or, or that kind of thing. But yeah, it's just, um, it was a really, really fun project. I am actually doing a second book with Quarto that comes out next year called okay. Cowboy Cocktails. Okay. Um, and the process with them was just very fun and um, kind of wild to be on a, on a third press, but um, it went really smoothly part of that is this is book nine i think for me <laughs> which is really crazy to think um but it's just you know really fun when i have material you know people ask me like how many cocktail books can you write and i say well i don't know i keep getting these emails like do you want to do the big lebowski cocktail book? <laughs> and you know something i never would have thought of um although it makes a lot of sense um and 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 sort of on we go you know and uh and uh, it's, it's been, it's been a fun ride. You, you have all this uh, going on with the cocktails and all, all the books you do and so forth. At the time, because I could just see our our, um, our guest list is, is in the beverage um, sec- sector, is like splitting further between alcoholic and non-alcoholic yeah. cocktails. I don't know where that's going to go. I don't know where it's going to go either. It's very interesting. I definitely think some of the big brands are behind it. There's definitely big money behind it, so I don't know whether it's so going to So there's I mean, a lot of money, and that's why they're doing it, huh? I think okay. so, um, you know, because those, those brands that are non-alcoholic sell for the same amount as an alcoholic bottle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it's, you know, basically you're buying glycerin and, and um, you know, some other additives. So, but, you know, I think that, that place in the market has always been there. I think it fluctuates. Um, I think obviously, you know, it's a great thing to to have cocktails that are NA that don't have a stigma to them, and in any way, you know, they're just as wonderful as not as alcoholic cocktails. And I think that's a very important part of the of the pie. Um, but we'll see how. You know, what's interesting is the media story has been how much NA has grown, but the real story is that people were drinking or are drinking more than ever during the pandemic. So that well, that's what I thought, and, and I don't know the statistics. Don't the, the reporting of the statistics don't hold that up. Don't uphold that. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty amazing. People are drinking a lot, but they're also drinking. You know what what another story that's been buried is things were kind of you know slowing down again in cocktail world creativity up to 2019. And what I've seen is so many people were home with cocktail books or watching YouTubes or whatever and getting really into cocktails that I feel like cocktail culture actually really it has improved in the last couple of years. And there's a lot of excitement about it um, because it's something that people sort of did during the pandemic. So I, th- those stories have kind of been all, you know, pushed to the side for this jugger- this NA juggernaut that's coming through. I worry that there's, there's tones of, of prohibition again in these. Yeah, in I know. The and well, the pro, and, and not just in drink and beverage and restaurant thing. I mean, I think rules and regulations of everything has been happening. Yeah, I agree. I, and yeah. you know, there's it's a very quick jump for people to say, "Well, I don't drink anymore. I feel better, so you shouldn't either." Yeah, I know. And you know, that's a very, a very, a very quick line that I see a lot of the NA writers crossing. And, um, you know, everybody thinks that what they're doing is the thing it's to do. Right, and, right, and, right. and whatever they're being saved by, they think they want to be saved by. But I don't really want to be proselytized about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't, want to, I don't want to sign up for their condo timeshare either. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, we should mention, before we close this, we should mention you also have a fun section, your party planning 
section. A lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have you. <laughs> Tell us this about that really, one. really, really fun. That was actually something that the press wanted towards the end, and we just had a really great time with it because yeah. it's sort of, um, ex- you know, sort of an extension experience. You know, we have a pool party. You know, Bunny the character, we yeah. see her <laughs> sitting by the pool. You know, we have a memorial. You know, the character Donnie dies in the in the movie, and we have a memorial picnic for him. Um, you know, we have a bowling team party because so much of the movie takes place at the party. Um, and, and those, I, I had fun um, kind of putting together some of the drinks and the food in the book so that people can uh, be inspired to have a little, a little Lebowski get-together. Uh-huh. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah well, it was a blast. Have you got any reactions to people receiving this well? Yeah, it's been really fun. I actually did the launch party in uh, Washington, D.C. on Friday night. The book just came out last week. Um, and it was really fun. Uh, people were coming dressed up, you know, um, you know, in whether in Walter's sort of jacket or somebody was dressed as <laughs> there's a dream sequence with Vikings. They're wearing Viking hats. Um, and uh, it's just really fun. People have really positive associations with this movie, um, whether they saw it 25 years ago in the theater or whether they're new to it. Um, these characters are just sort of have become these sort of Americana icons, I guess, mm-hmm. at this point, um, and re- you know, recognizable characters. Certainly, the dude. It's sort of like that that the cowboy takeoff. What is it called? The, the wild, the wild western thing. So far. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the kind of characters that everybody kind of knows. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was, and and so it's really fun. I'm doing a, a few more events. I think things will. The the book is. You know, the vibe of the movie is very relaxed, so I think it'll have sort of a southern, I mean, a summer, you know, kind of feel to it. So I'm looking forward to... Um, oh, that's true. Yeah, it'd be good. Yeah. I, have, I have quite a few, um, you know, things, uh, events lined up as the weather warms up and people start to re- relax a little bit for the summer. Well, let us know when you're coming out with your cowboy one. One of my favorite interviews, a couple of our favorite interviews, is that... Um, the, the the cook I mean, and the cookbook author who's a, a real life cowboy do you know which one i mean oh yeah 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 he That's was fun. he's incredibly funny when we talked you know? he's very you know, formal I, very formal oh, in his interviews <laughs> i had a great time kind of unexpectedly i had a great time you know i had done the john wayne book and so when they when they right. asked to do cowboys i was like yeah i've already gone down this road and seen all of his movies and really got into that and then this one was a deep dive into, like, I learned all about the different cattle trails and the, the whole thing and what they actually ate. I really did a pretty deep dive into what food and drink was like after the uh-huh. Civil War, you know, which is really when the cowboy starts to appear. And um, it's just a wonderful – it was a wonderful uh, book to research, and I think it's just going to be another um, fantastic book on a very interesting subject. Yeah, we all got a hold of this cookbook. For this. What is his name? I, bet, I can't remember. The <laughs> You're asking – Asking me to remember a name. <laughs> good, good, luck, good luck with that one, buddy. Yeah. He's, he's very funny. He's very I mean, funny. I, I mean, I mean, I, he, I do, he has a lady now, too. And <laughs> I, 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 do know, I do know where, where the, the dude has a statue. Where does where? the dude have a statue? Or, or, orange, orange, or, the airport in Orange County, California. Yeah, oh, not, no not, yeah, yeah, not dude from this book. The dude. The dude. The dude. Yeah, the dude. yeah from the movie. Did, did, yeah. They call, didn't they call John Wayne the dude? Yeah. Oh, John Wayne for sure yeah. has one. Yeah, John Wayne was the dude. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm the I'm the dude cocktail book author. <laughs> 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 Who knew my career would have two dudes? Yeah, his boat is, John Wayne's boat is still in commission out there too. Um, uh-huh. The wild goose. Right? Okay. Yeah, out in La- in Long Beach. Um, I haven't been on it, um, but I but I know that it's still in commission. Um, one of the interesting facts I learned writing that book was that John Wayne's personal yacht was the sister ship to the Calypso. They were both minesweepers. Really? How interesting is that? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. You learned a lot of stuff. Every so I often, though, I say, you know, I don't want to good. really know anything else. <laughs> I know. The brain is full. The brain is full. That's when you have to start learning ancient Greek or something. <laughs> I had somebody at the gym more. that that was studying ancient Greek and with her her textbook in front of her reading it out loud when you couldn't. Oh wow! You couldn't duck off the 
<laughs> treadmill. <laughs> Yeah, I sadly don't have any room for that anymore. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, as as always, Andre Darlington, um, it's a pleasure talking to you, and uh, I could hardly wait for the cowboy book. And yeah. listeners, again, it's it's the unofficial Big Lebowski cocktail book, and it's Andre Darlington who's a delight. Thank, thank you, you so, so much, much Andre. Thank you so much for having me on. Great talking again. You too. Bye bye. Yeah, bye-bye.